today's episode of the new roads with jordan o'donnell podcast i jonah baker will be joined by co-host jake harris to have an in-depth conversation with a friend we made up in eugene by the name of patty rose from the spent the rent podcast patty had a whole bunch of interesting um thoughts and viewpoints that we're really excited to get into as we've been traveling through the east through um nashville into texas new mexico now that we're finally out in the west we're we're very eager to talk with him about how um, politics, the BLM movement, COVID, and everything else has been interpreted out here on the Western side of things. So uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy the conversation that we had with him. And um, yeah, here we go. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. We're back at it again. New Roads Podcast. And I'm here with my man, Patty Rose. Patty, I don't know if you've ever seen a photo of me, but I've seen one of you, and we could be long-lost brothers. <laughs> we got some uh, Irish and Scottish in... I, got, I know I got some Irish and Scottish in me. It looks like you probably got some in you. Is that... Uh, I mean, your name's Patty. Yeah, Patty definitely Rose, so. definitely Irish, for sure. Yeah, heck yeah, man. The only other Patty I know was a guy... Uh, I met him on the streets in Cork, Ireland, and he was... Uh, drunkenly getting kicked out of a McDonald's at the time, I figured no better guy to ask than this guy for directions to the you know best pub, and uh, he was shadow boxing and he said the name's Patty Murphy. Remember the name. Um, so I'm I'm glad to uh, be on here with you and uh, have another Patty's take. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, so I guess for all the people out there. Um, you want to introduce yourself a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and, um, we'll go from there. I know you kind of got your life broken up into your personal life, your music life, your barber life. Um, and it looks to me that you are a man of the people and you tend to intertwine a bunch of those and, you know, you're out here living life in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, that's, that's sums it up pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I'm the host of a local podcast. The Spent the Rent podcast uh, that I started. My biggest inspirations are obviously Joe Rogan, and then I watch Bill Maher every week. And so I kind of wanted to do something like what they do for the local scene, you know? And so what I, sure. I interview uh, musicians, business owners, people in local politics, but I try to keep it to Lane County. So gotcha. obviously the demographic or the audience is going to, you know, stay smaller because it's a local thing. But I, I think it's it's really building community. A lot of times the audience becomes uh, past guests. So when the guests come on and now I'm at like, I don't know, 80 something guests, those people then start to kind of build a community around it. So it's pretty cool. But like you had mentioned, I'm also a musician. You can look at you can look at Patty Rose on Spotify or. Oh, yeah, I already have, man. You got I've seen some of the stuff you put together, some of the music videos you get seem to get it rocking. Yeah, it's kind of amateur. It's just a little bit of a hobby, but definitely what speared, yeah, speared all of the different creative outlets that I've now partaken. I think the podcast has a, has grown a lot more than my music ever did, but the music was really just for fun. <laughs> yeah, I even noticed, uh, I guess it was in uh, one of your videos posted to your personal website, um, you were talking about kind of being the little guy making your wave in society, coming from like some humble beginnings and stuff and talking about how... You know, generally speaking, at least at the beginning, the people with the most capital win, but 
uh, you start to make some mentions about how you know the people who are really coming from a point of passion really start to break through and create the community feel that you're kind of alluding to in your comments. Do you want to add anything else to that kind of philosophy and life perspective? I know what you're referring to a video. So I, I live in Eugene, Oregon. So uh, I work as a barber on the University of Oregon campus. And so right. the little project that you're referencing is a senior project for one of the students that was doing a little spotlight on me. And I was just talking yeah. about people that are humble, that are really driven by the passion for whatever art or, you know, artistic creation that they make, that stuff's going to rise to the top over time. It might take right. a while and you'll bang your head against the wall for a long time. <laughs> but sure. I think if you stick with it, you know, you know, a really good friend of mine, you talked about a, a personal philosophy, the guy that kind of was my sensei when it comes to music, he, he goes by Joey Helpish. He's a local guy. Joey he, Helpish. Yeah. And he taught me yeah. at a, you know, early on in the process that let's just make something terrible today. So let's just do it. Let's <laughs> yeah. just make something terrible today. Let's make something terrible tomorrow. Let's do it every single day. And then you'll get somewhere with it so that, you know, by over time, like when we started making music, our second album was called The Good Album, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> Heck yeah. How good was it? Was it any good? Oh, it was still garbage, but. Heck yeah, man. But yeah, so hey, I mean, I, I guess to answer your question, I, I feel like you just have to be true to yourself. And the rest of it works its way out, you know, and people can see authenticity and it over time when all the other people have burnt themselves out, you're still doing your thing. Then people start to acknowledge yeah. that they'll give you credit for it. Yeah, no, heck yeah, man. I definitely agree with that philosophy. I'm kind of a, I kind of fall in that same boat, but I wouldn't say the self-esteem boat, Willie. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, man, I definitely agree with you there as far as. You know, just keep chasing your passions, man. I mean, chasing passion is attractive. Um, may not seem to be the most attractive, sexiest thing at the beginning, but, you know, people will um, people will catch on and they'll see. And uh, then, you know, it's not about getting the last laugh in. You don't seem like one of those guys who wants to get the last laugh in. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, it sounds like you're the type of guy who's going to stay true to himself and enjoy what you're doing and keep chasing it and leave your impact on the world. Um you know, the whole way through, whereas some might be kind of chasing different, different what they think are dreams or whatnot. And then just to kind of circle back around and be like, dang, kind of gave up on my dreams at some point. And uh, then they look over here at Patty Rose and he's just, you know, cutting hair, singing tunes and, uh, you know, changing his local community. So I love it, man. So uh, I guess kind of take me from the beginning a little bit. Um, I'm I grew up in a small town north of Richmond, Virginia. Um, and you grew up, you are an Oregon native. Have you always been in Eugene? Yeah. So I was born in Salem, uh, moved to the Springfield, you know, Lane County, Eugene Springfield area when I was about 11. And so definitely born and raised Oregonian. Uh, my family were transplants from California. My parents both grew up in San Diego. And then, uh, gotcha. in the eighties, it was kind of a mass migration for, a lot sure. of Californians that they felt like, oh, there's a lot of opportunity up in Oregon. And then now my dad complains about Californians moving up to Oregon. But, <laughs> but uh, definitely, you know, the first in my family to be born and raised in Oregon. And I don't know, I've traveled a little bit. I'm starting to travel more now that I have the means. Uh, you know, I've worked hard sure. to get to that point. And more of the northern states, I haven't, I've never been to the East Coast. 
But yeah, I mean, <laughs> Oregon is is definitely home, and I, I've I've been told that Eugene is a vortex. So if you get too far away from it, that it's gonna suck you back in. And <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. Times are tough right now, so it's kind of hard to find where home is because I think home is literally the four walls that you live inside, <laughs> instead of For the sure. the community feel that you tend. Like Eugene really has this kind of vibrant festival life and outdoor music venue scene and that kind of stuff, especially for the size of the community. But right now we can't do that kind of stuff. So it's definitely difficult. And then there's a lot of division. So it's really, if you look on social media, you would think that every community across the country is full of idiots, but. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. It's definitely kind of a a crazy point right now. I mean, I kind of similarly to you, you're right there on the, university of oregon campus more or less especially when you're going to work chopping hair right yeah right on campus like it's a couple blocks from the campus yeah it sounds so i went to virginia tech myself and uh, i actually read an article so virginia tech similar to eugene in some ways um because you got the university there when the students are all there and running around it's popping and when they're not it's not you know um, and I don't know if it holds to be true for Eugene as it does Blacksburg, but I know Blacksburg is about to run into a really difficult time on a financial end just because they haven't had the students since, you know, early last spring. Um, you know, there's talk of a number of students not even reporting back and just waiting until it's full time back in the classroom because of COVID um, and everything like that. And gosh, I mean, a lot of the small business owners in the area, um, any any sort of entertainment uh, company is very much reliant on that student body. Um, is that kind of the same thing that you guys are experiencing over there in Eugene, or you guys have a little bit more of a populace, and but it's still tough? It's always hard to gauge, uh, you know, when someone talks about what is popping in a community. Because to me, sure. to me, Eugene is reliant on the, on the campus in a lot of ways, but it's still... You know, there's 23,000 students at the University of Oregon. And so the the population of Eugene and Lane County, well, Eugene is like roughly 160,000. And then the Lane County, gotcha. you know, you get into like 250,000 range. Gotcha. But as far as the size of Eugene, surprisingly, pre-COVID, there's a lot going on. You know, there's a lot of, mm-hmm. there's something for everybody, a lot of community, uh, you know, efforts to kind of bring people together. There's, there's, there's a lot of stuff to do that, that can like fulfill people's lives. You know, like there's a lot of community gardens, right. a lot of bike paths, a lot of good parks, uh, you know, right. and then, like I mentioned before, the music venues and that kind of stuff. So as far as the, you know, effects of COVID on the economy, I think that all, all across the country, small government is going to see a huge hit because of the tax revenue that's lost. And unlike Right. The federal government and us citizens, the, the local governments have to balance their checkbook. <laughs> you know, right. so so I do see, you know, shortcomings in the future as far as help for the underprivileged, which is really scary because right. we have like the highest per capita homelessness in the right. country. And then the arts, we have a place, for example, the Wow Hall, uh, which is a music venue that you know 12 to 20 dollar shows so they're affordable and you get i've seen like face to face like an orange county punk band i've seen tons of underground hip-hop you know really just i don't know why face to face is the one band i mentioned there's so many that i've seen Uh there but but the point is is that it's it's one of those things that's just been a staple and it's in danger of not being there long term so it's gonna be really interesting 
I think that we're so driven by our art and creativity in this town that people people will push to find new ways to do it, though, you know. Hearing about Eugene, I've been through Portland uh, myself on a road trip down the West Coast with one of my best friends from high school. I've not been to Eugene. Um, did get out into kind of the countryside of Oregon, I'll call it, um, which is just beautiful. Uh, but Richmond is really similar sounding uh, to Eugene, very artsy community, you know, a lot of creatives, a lot of unique individuals, um, and a lot of them definitely seem to be kind of community-minded. I don't know if um, the news of Monument Avenue has made it all the way out there, but um, we are, we, the city of Richmond, they're trying to figure out what they're doing with these Confederate war general statues that have been up for years uh, right there on Monument Avenue. And since the recent protests and stuff like that, you know, part of the demand is for those to come down. And, um, you know, they've been turned into pieces of art essentially at this point um you know with a lot of tagging and spray painting and stuff but it's definitely you know i think just another that was a very close home close to home kind of point uh to me in regards to what's going on across the country um you know you kind of made some mentions of the division and such um how is that playing out in eugene and then even more than that you guys are almost like a little sister city to portland which is kind of no, you know, I was talking with Jonah right before the podcast and we were talking about Portland and Oregon a little bit. And just there's some people that don't even know that Portland is a political hotspot in some ways, but in others, it, you know, people that know, they know that, man, there is a lot of stuff going on over there right now. And then even more than that, bigger picture right up the road um, in Seattle right now, they've got Chaz um, going on. So, yeah, what do you, how is that all playing out in Eugene? How's that, uh, you know, are you guys seeing trickle-down effects from uh, the hotspot of Portland? Um, what's been going on? There's been, you know, there's been a lot, a bit daily uh, Black Lives Matter protests. And right. then All Lives Matter support the police counter-protests. And Springfield, which is, you know, it's uh, the neighboring town to Eugene. It's where the Simpsons originally was based off of. And that's debatable, right. but it's a fact. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, so that town is, is v v predominantly white, much like the rest of Oregon and it's very right. working class, a lot more, uh, I'm going to get political here, but you're going to see a lot more make America great again hats. You're going to see yep. big trucks, you know, the, the country lifestyle, which, oh, yeah. which I'm, I'm somebody that falls, I'm very liberal, but I personally i can have respect for people across the board no matter what and i can see the differences in strategy and politics but yeah, when it comes to racism and what's happening today currently what we see in our town and my community is that some people are like oh what an inconvenience that these people want rights you know and so that they're just right. like this is really just kind of irritating that these people would be fighting to not be you know treated like second-class citizens and, right. you know, some of the tactics, like I've been very outspoken about, I'm not sure if the approach in Portland is a good approach. I don't know if it's going to bring people together, if it's going to make a huge impact. But I will sure. say that you can see by the reaction from our governor, where she's telling the federal government that they need to just back off, that a, a while back I was watching CNN, and for which is terrible, but which for... <laughs> a cycle of maybe 24, 48 hours, they kept doing the same story about how Trump 
Trump believes that he can win in Oregon. Now, Oregon right. is con consistently a blue state because of the I-5 corridor, because of Portland and Eugene, basically, because that's all you need to win. There right. is a huge rural population that's definitely more right-leaning and sometimes far-right. But the reasoning, I think, that he was doing this, I don't think that he truly thought he would win. I think what it would do, maybe he does, by a small margin, if anything. But I think what it does is it stokes the flames of Antifa. And so sure. he can make it look like, oh, all of the people that are Democrats, everyone, is these crazy, out-of-control you know, activists, anarchists, or whatever, terrorists, they're words that they use. I mean, it's out of control because Antifa, if anybody's unfamiliar, just stands for anti-fascist. So right. if you're again, if you're anti-anti-fascist, what would that mean? That would mean that you're a fascist. You're so, fascist. <laughs> so, and it's not that simple because I do think that sure. because we're talking about young adults that, and sometimes teens, you know, that are really motivated by emotion and they don't understand that that politics is a slow process of coalition building and you have to actually get involved right. to make a change. But so they want to do this quick fix of just burn it down. And so I've seen the, the images you're talking about in Virginia of the monuments. Right. And I think it needs to go. And we've been seeing, you know, and it's a difficult pill to swallow when you see the, the graffiti all over it for most Americans. Right. But at the same time, it's like, this is what it has felt like for 400 years for a humongous sure. group of our citizens, 13%, you know, so. I think it's just so interesting. interesting. It's, it's like, like, you know, my, my take on it, on, on the Monument Avenue is like, like what is, is it hurting to take it down? down? You know, like, like it, it seems like a pretty simple fix if, uh, you know, this, you know, like uh, Black America that you're referring to is like, you know, super bummed and like yo why do we still have these things up then like what's it hurt to take them down you know you can still take them to the grave sites of you know the corresponding generals and or you know do something else with them but as far as being a memorialized item in the middle of a city why right you know and so that's kind of my take on it is like so why, why you know why does it need to be up there we had a situation on the campus at the university of oregon where there was these two statues, one was a, I'm not exactly sure, but one was the, a pioneer. I think that's a, is what it was called. And then the other one was um, like a woman. I can't remember what they're called. So there's a, there's a guy and there's a, a female statue, that, like pioneer mother, I think is what it was called. Well, those were taken down, right? And so my first reaction was right. like, God, they don't even, you guys are, are, are neglecting the history. And to be fair, I didn't even really know the history. So, I mean... What, sure. what I learned, and this is from who I actually respect, is a, is a University of Oregon attorney. He's like one of the head attorneys for the U of O, one of my customers in the barbershop. And he said, yeah, you know, the thing is, those statues were put up to kind of be a big middle finger to the Native Americans because, you know, colonialism oh, yeah. and pioneers. And it's tough because I don't know if you guys, how old you are or if you grew up playing the game Oregon Trail. When I was a kid, I thought that oh, that yeah, game, buddy. I thought that that game was only played in Oregon, you know. But it's something everybody played, <laughs> and and you know, I remember on the Apple computers when I was in like the fourth grade, back in the day, twenty five years ago, whatever, thirty, and playing Oregon Trail and and learning about that, you know, pioneer kind of mentality, and we looked right. at it like, oh my God, these guys had nothing, you know, and then they came over here, which is true, but at the same time, right. what we neglected to say was who was affected by that <laughs> you know the people that For were sure. it's it's interesting to see the statues go down i've got mixed feelings about 
the process and how people are going about it. I am happy to see the Confederate flag not be flown in any type of government building because the initial plan and goal with the statues and the flag is intimidation. And that's literally what the goal was. And they can try to deny that fact forever, but they're lying to themselves and, and us. But yeah. Well, gosh, I was even reading one article about how great of a job NASCAR, arguably one of the like whitest, most like, quote unquote, Confederate entities did such a remarkable job with their take on getting the, you know, Confederate flag out of there, you know, and making moves to make amends, you know, and I was just like, dang, why can't some more people be like American NASCAR, you know? Yeah, it's funny. NASCAR stands for North American Sports Centered Around Rednecks. And so, uh, right. And, you know, I I think I saw some meme and I don't remember the full thing. I've never been able to regurgitate it fully, which is great. But it said something to the effect of, wow, America's divorce is going crazy. It seems like the left got NASCAR and I can't remember what the right got, but in in the divorce. But I thought it was really funny that that part stuck with me. So anyway, so it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I think NASCAR's handled it right. I guess kind of we've been talking about some of the differences and stuff. And one of the things that I, you know, kind of been picking up on is just even your take on like local government, local community, uh, that sort of thing. Um, So local government, generally speaking, back in the hizzy was more of like a conservative viewpoint. Um, But it seems like you're pretty psyched on, you know, the local local government. And, you know, I would actually agree. Uh, in a lot of ways to, you know, taking part. That's how I think you're going to see the most impact. Um, so, yeah, I guess kind of being from a more liberal mindset, but being in favor of, you know, the local government. And, I mean, you see even states like California, and you had mentioned Oregon, you know, they're basically, you know, pleading with the federal government saying, hey, let us take care of us. Um, which it's kind of just like this contradiction to original philosophy in some ways. But, you know, I think... Uh, I think you're seeing a lot of moves being made on a local level that can be more impactful. So what's your, what's your take on that? How's, uh, why are you more of a local government guy partake? I mean, I know you've been chatting about community and that sort of thing. And how has that all kind of played into the political scene that you're experiencing? And why do you, if you had to tell an American, Hey, you should be involved in your local government. Why? Well, so Why I live, they do it? I actually live in Springfield, Oregon, and I grew up, cool. I've bounced back and forth between the two towns. I mean, it's the difference of a bridge, but right. in Springfield, you see a lot more of a conservative mindset mixed in. So there's, I'd still say that it's probably blue. I mean, it's probably 55, 60% blue, right? but it's a lot more, um, it kind of both sides. And so in the local government, you see people actually work together. You know, so you see people that sure. can, they stay a little bit more moderate. They try not to go too extreme one way or the other, but they actually right. can work with each other with admiration. And one of the things as far as, so for me personally, I actually just recently kind of as a joke, I'm not going to lie. I put <laughs> myself on the ballot. I just did a write-in campaign for a precinct committee person, which is kind of like an assistant to the city council. And gotcha. so I did it. I got enough votes that I got elected. So I've, I've done, <laughs> I've done my first and you know, there's, there's like 20, I don't know how it works in different States, but in Oregon, right. We'll get our mail-in ballot, which is amazing by the way. I don't know why anybody would be opposed to mail-in voting, but you, um, 
you go to, to fill out your ballot at your kitchen table with nobody hovering over you and you uh look and there's a spot that says precinct committee person and there's you know vote for 20 and there's one person that's written it on there i think it costs a little bit of money to be on it but it's like 50 bucks to get your name on the ballot mm -hmm. it's not a lot i could be wrong with that i'll learn more about this if you talk to me again in a year but anyway so because <laughs> i'm literally new to this actually doing it you know people have always said oh you sure. should get involved with it well the reason i wanted to get involved with it is because i wanted to see why it is that Springfield does something where people actually kind of like the city government, why it is that when there's a campaign and the Democrat loses to the Republican, they're not losing their mind because they're like, no, I admire right. them. I mean, that's what the constituents wanted. So it feels like real democracy. You sure. know, so there's and, compromise. Yeah, there's there's, there's a lot together. of it. You know, we have something For in sure. Springfield called Willamette Lane and Willamette Lane is is a private. I'm going to mess this up. So you'd have to do a little research. I could get some of these facts wrong, but well, Lane sure. is like a parks and recreation setup, but it's not government. It's private, but they work with the government to get grants. And the city, the citizens actually continuously voted in to where they support these services. Like they have skate parks and pools and all these things. So it's kind of a hybrid of a Republican and a Democratic strategy on how to do local government. And that's why, I mean, we see this this compromise to where it actually kind of works for everybody. Because a lot of times on a federal level, Republicans are like, we want no government, no investment in our people, no no social safety nets, you know, because you're on your own, yeah, hands boot, off. bootstraps, you know, kind of thing. Right. right. And then you get Democrats that are like, you know, let's just give every single person a house, you know, right. like they don't have to work. And then, you know, the only people that will pay for it are Bill Gates. But or whatever right. that's just not going to work you know it's just not reasonable for sure so even though i think that would be great but but that's not gonna it's not, <laughs> not going to work so you know i i got into it to see if i could learn more about why it is that it works that way and learn more about the individuals and i tend to be pretty progressive and so it's funny because some of my progressive friends are like don't cozy up to those moderates and i'm like dude my whole goal like, like, is coalition building. I'm going to work with people right. that are Republicans if I if I can find common ground with them because it's better to get a bill passed that's closer to what you wanted than to not get one passed at all. As far as I, I mean, in most 100%. cases, obviously there's some bills that get passed that are horrible, but if it's something right. that you want, if you want to, you know. Right, and I mean, I think that, you know, I'm. I'm a huge proponent of the whole compromise idea, which, you know, to many in Washington seems like this foreign radical idea at this point. But even just what you're talking about, I mean, it's it's definitely encouraging to hear about a place like Eugene and the surrounding areas. You know, um, and, and for the record, I want to I want to address this. You had said, you know, Eugene, it's cool to see people in Eugene and Springfield working together. No, no. Eugene is a nightmare. <laughs> the way that they're, okay, the, right, way that, right, the way that they're the way that their local government is handled, the way that gotcha. the citizens react to the local government, there's no, it's it's really a hoity-toity kind of circle that runs the local government. So they don't gotcha. so they don't actually listen to a big chunk of the business owners of the, gotcha. you know, I mean homelessness is so out of control that there's people that are camped out in front of fun of businesses so the businesses then suffer because of it and there's right. nothing that will be done because they're like we have we have encouraged our police to not i mean and it's difficult because i don't want to blame the poor people there needs to be things put into effect now you know i'm springfield has banned uh camping in the in the town you know and that's what the right. that's what the citizens overwhelmingly want 
Right. There is people that work really, really hard in local government to find ways to do, to help with homelessness in Springfield. And then in Eugene as well. But I mean, it's kind of unfair to compare the two towns because of the fact gotcha. of the sheer size, you know, because Eugene is so much right. bigger. But anyway, yeah, I, I'm, I, I definitely agree that we need Washington. We need people that work together much more, you know, because it's the problem is term limits, because when you have someone that is only running a campaign, that's all they do their entire time. So they only worry about reelection. And then the fatigue of the voters and not educating themselves, they'll reelect the incumbent because of name recognition. But like right now, we're seeing an interesting thing because Trump has a 30 percent approval rating nationally. And yet the Republicans have decided the candidate or the politicians that they're going to align with him, because if they don't, then they will not continue to have hold office. Now, mark sure. my words, 10 years from now, those people that are now aligning themselves with him, which is unpopular with 70% of the country, they'll still hold office because people have fatigue and they just don't actually do the due diligence and their communities are like, oh yeah, this guy's fine. Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, Marco Rubio in Florida, you know, these people that are complete and ab absolute sycophants and do exactly what he wants. And yet, you know, they, they said he was horrendous during the primaries. So they, they're super inconsistent. They don't represent their constituents, and yet they continue to get voted in. So I'm blaming sure. the citizens. You know, you know it's up to yeah, us. Sure. It's up to us not to. It's our country. Time to take it back, huh? That's a good, that's exactly how I look at it. That when it comes to local yeah. government, what's beautiful is you can do things locally that actually sees rewards. You look at the constituents eye to eye. So you actually get so a response from them. You know, yeah. honestly, with, with Trump and Biden, I just feel like there are so many different people that could have been the ones to, to be the front runners. Um, so what's going on with the Democratic Party, man? I mean, again, I think on a to compare it to local, it's, it's really cool sure. because when you live in a in a in Eugene and Springfield and Oregon in general, you get to see a microcosm of the entire nation, and in and it because sure. you feel you feel the divide here, you know, because there's such an extreme, you know, you get far left, far right. Now in local government, just like what happened this time around in Eugene, you'll see where they're like, oh, you guys do want more progressive. I'm talking about the Democrats. You'll say, right, oh, right. you do want more progressive things like a Bernie Sanders type attitude. Yeah, that's cute. Not yet. We're going to do what we think is right because we're smarter than you. That's the way that the party right. acts. And that is the same on the national level as it is on the local yeah. level. This time around, you're voting for the Supreme Court. You're voting for the justice system to be different. You're right. voting for all kinds of stuff. And then just the chaos and our blood pressure. But, uh, right. you know, <laughs> as far as what I feel like as far as this time around, the way the Democratic Party, I think you're totally right. I think it felt like they did it again. They burnt Bernie. They didn't give him a chance. Yeah. People didn't believe in it. I will say, however, that if Bernie's, I hate to say this because I'm a big Bernie guy, but if you, mm -hmm. if you look burn, at the country maybe. and the states that actually matter to win, you know, Wisconsin, Florida, Pennsylvania, maybe even Texas, because if you look at the poll number or the numbers of turnout in the primary that just happened for Texas, there's a lot of Democrats. It's turn. It's a purple state now. So you're mm -hmm. seeing, I think that those places tend to be a little bit more moderate by the numbers. And I think that Joe Biden is actually pretty popular. So as much as I hate to admit it, the strategy of the Democratic Party might have been a decent one. Because I think Joe Biden is a lot more electable than some of the options, as much as I think it's hard to stomach. I think the only difference right. and why I think Bernie is a better candidate as far as winning is the sheer popularity 
because people could say, you know how with Trump, people are like, oh, he's a racist. And then his voters and supporters are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, they're like, mm-hmm. I don't even see it. Now with Bernie, when people are like, he's a socialist, they're like, his supporters are like, nope. <laughs> you know, like, I don't care. Right, I don't, right. it, it doesn't do anything to me. It doesn't make me scared of it, you know, because, right. you know, so with with Bernie, there was no issues. And so he probably would have gotten elected and our country would actually have leadership. Now, the progressives aren't being heard. And it does feel like there's people that actually want to try something new and it's just being ignored and it's really frustrating. And this is kind of my last ditch effort the next two or three years to see if I even stay inside the Democratic Party. I think yeah. no matter what, we have to do something to get the two-party system not the, not the way that it works because I think there's so many people that fall <laughs> yeah. into different you know lines. Problem is, is that both parties look at each citizen, not just the politicians. Like if you're on the right, you look at any Democrat like they're Antifa, you know, that they're right. burning buildings, that they're spray painting the, the monuments that you're talking about. Right. On the left, they look at it like, oh, my gosh, all you you're just a bootlicker that, you know, that right. all you do is you use identity politics, you know, and it's yeah. it's just it's not true. I mean, there's a lot of average Joes that fall somewhere in the middle. And I hear people say it right. all the time. You know, it's like, oh, I'm I'm socially liberal because of social issues, but I'm consciously or like uh, economically more conservative. And it's like, what does that mean? Like, they just don't want to be taxed, but they're getting fed this bullshit, uh, you know, argument that like the poor people are the problem. Like that, it's it's welfare sure. that it's welfare that we, you know, that all the you know, I, I hate it when I see people using a food card to buy steak, for example. And it's like, no, no, no. My my issue is actually people, or not people, the government. My issue isn't poor people. It's missiles. It's missiles and tanks, you know, like that are unnecessary. Right. You know, one of the best things sure. that I know I'm getting off the point, but one of the best things that we've seen from COVID, <laughs> from COVID, it's like how we're not hearing at least about what's going on overseas. It seems like war has kind of subsided a little bit, at least from our angle. I'm sure there's still a lot of craziness going on, but. Right. Yeah. Real quick, Patty, great way to sorry to hop in right here at the end, but just a great way to kind of like wrap all of this up um, as we've been. Uh, so we've been stuck here in California for six or seven days. And like um, for me, I'm personally from, I'm from Boise, Idaho. So kind of like in the same sort of situation you are where it's, uh, you know, in some ways a concentrated like little batch of blue, however, completely outweighed by the other, you know, one mil. Um, I think it's like one, there's like four or 500,000 people in the treasure Valley and they're completely outweighed by the rest of the state that just blindly votes. Right. And that sort of stuff. Um, so it's kind of been interesting to see the politics, uh, like see the politics and mindsets of all these people change as I've, as we've gone on this tour from the East to the West. Um, and I'm really interested to talk to you in particular, um, just to kind of like wrap this whole thing up, get your opinions on, um, the greater Idaho movement. If you've seen any of the news about that, all of the, uh, all of the rural counties in Oregon, Northern California being like, Hey, here's how we get out of that I-5 corridor. Let's just jump over into the other conser- the last conservative state left in the, in the West, basically. Have you seen anything about that? I have seen it, and it's interesting to me because, though, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of a, a compromiser, so in a way, it's like, why don't you just do it? You know, go ahead. But, but then I see <laughs> sure. so many issues. I see so many issues with, you know, the wealth in this state, in Oregon, is – it's going to be in the bigger cities. There's a lot more money and economics, whatnot. But I mean, one of the things that people don't address, and I don't know a ton about this, I'm no expert, but 
with farming and whatnot, you know, so the rural community would be making all the food. And I'm sure that there'd be issues because it's so close to home, literally. But right. a lot of times farms are farming is subsidized, you know, and it's paid for by other people's tax. You know what I mean? So who knows? I, I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> I, I just I don't know how they would do the flag. You'd have to put more stars. Sure. You know, that's probably the only reason they haven't done it is because it would be like, oh my God, we already changed it twice, you know, or three, whatever. But no, I hear that a lot, and I think it's more of a of a talking point. It's funny to me though because you know how people are always like, if you don't like it, you can leave. Well, they're essentially right. like, I'm gonna stay here and still leave. You know, <laughs> you know. Right, but right. it's kind of funny. I mean, I don't know how it would work out. There would be pros and cons, obviously. The short version is that like it would it would absolutely suck for Idaho. I mean, like we've already we're already I think bottom three in the nation as far as education funding goes. Any sort of social programs are just already kind of not there. So taking a whole another four or five million people, no matter how many like millions thousands of acres of land that is, and just throwing them into the same pot where they just don't want to pay they want to pay lower rates of taxes is like just an awesome little double negative theoretical double negative that's been thrown in there. I don't yeah. even know if I really have ever taken it too serious, to be honest. The oh, only I th- sure. The, I the one thing that I, I do think needs to happen, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but there, no, there only needs to be one Dakota, okay? Like, this is out of control. <laughs> yeah, let's get rid of North because and South. It's just one. North and South Dakota have the same amount of senators as California, and that's disgusting. And, you know, it's like, I do think it's time to rework some of this, uh, you know, 50-state solution. I don't know if that's what it's called, but, like... Uh, you know, I, I do think there's 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 some we need to have a conversation about it. I can't I don't think that we should be making decisions primarily based on political reasons ever. You know, that's the that's that's working with your emotion and with your heart and not with you know your brain. You know, that these people are like, I don't yeah. wanna I don't wanna deal with these damn liberals and then they're like, Oh, wait a minute <laughs> And it gets a little confusing though, you know how uh gerrymandering has worked and this is why Republicans actually have powers because they've written the map so that they can control the numbers and it's tough because who's going to change it if they just won you know which uh, regardless of which side who's going to change the voting districts if they just won them you know it should just be done through the the census and it should be a little bit more clear-cut but yeah so tell me how what's how would that work it would it would consist of idaho rural oregon and then part of washington would all just be one state the general idea is that everything east of the everything east of the Cascades and about north of Redding, California, would be joined with Idaho as one giant state. I just think that we should just have all of the West Coast, like the sliver from I five, you know, west. That should all just become part of Canada. Like, <laughs> like we should just be <laughs> now. Like, you know what? We're talking about some ideas. We here, want some health care. Where have and, these been? I mean, I guess we can have hockey, I guess, you know, no, there's actually a growing youth hockey scene. I did a podcast about it, but in, in Lane County, but no, I don't know. I mean, I've never given it too much thought. I just, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's something that would really happen. And it's interesting because, you know, I was born in the eighties, early eighties. And so to think of a different state being added, even though there's like Puerto Rico is not really included in the the 50 and it's a state and Washington DC should have its own, you know, representation. So they should be considered at least I have a senator or something, you know, so some of the rules maybe need to be addressed the way that things are set up. But we yeah, always count I the 50 states. Sta- sure. We count the 50 <laughs> states and that's the end all be all. Cause what we learned in school was that, you know, there's 50 states and we always think of it's yeah. like, Oh, that'd be so weird to add or, or subtract, you know, the number, but you know, 
rewind. Just got to make it to fifty-one, and then we'll uh, we'll be good to go. Right, but but rewind, you know, twenty-five years with Alaska and Hawaii, and and there's so much changes that was happening. It just we're it's not on our consciousness because we've never seen it, you know. So. I think the conversation should be had. You know, if somebody gives a good enough proposal, maybe I'll, I'll, you know, actually take the time to learn more about it. But for right now, I just don't see it changing. Absolutely. Well, speaking of conversation, Patty, this has been one hell of a conversation, man. And uh, I know Jonah and I are going to be probably chit-chatting about it for the days to come. It's been quite enjoyable. And uh, enjoyed just hearing about the different perspective uh, that you get to bring to the table um, being in – you know, a West Coast city uh, close to, you know, the effects of Portland and Washington and such. Um, To kind of finish things out here, man, I got a couple quick questions for you, just some rapid fires and just some space for some last-minute comments. Um, Would Texas make it if they seceded? We talked about, you know, making greater Idaho. Would Texas make it if they seceded, yes or no? Would Texas make it? Would Texas make it? I... I think the tech, I will never say anything negative about Texas because they, <laughs> you know, no, no, I've never been there. No, but uh, I think they probably would. Honestly, I think, yeah. they, I think they would. I think that they, they have a few things down that, you know, how I believe in multiculturalism. I really do. And, but I think Texas yeah. has, I, from in the last 20 years, I've seen a change in Texas where there's the thing that, now, the man. thing that Texas they has, even have liberals. Exactly. And, and, and they work. The Hispanic community has a huge representation in, in local For government sure. and, and whatnot. Now, what Texas does well is that there's a sense of pride in Texas universally. Yep. It doesn't matter. They do a lot of shit wrong. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying that they <laughs> but they just have this sense of pride. They love Texas. Yeah, because, you know, what we're seeing in Oregon and in all in Virginia and all the states across the country is that there's this I like you cannot have a monopoly on faith. Uh, on patriotism, on, you know, you cannot control those things. And in Texas, it's a universally loved state. Everybody that's, that's from right, Texas yeah. is like, I'm from Texas. I'm proud of it. You know, they, they tell you. They probably have it tattooed. Yeah. I saw a sign and it said, uh, why don't Americans love America like Texas love Texas when we were driving through Texas? Gosh, that's know. pretty rad, actually. I mean, it, it is a pretty dope sign. And it's a great one for us to all think about. It's all perspective. Um, kinda, it's all perspective, it you know. Really so I think that and, um, I think that Texas would survive. I think it's a massive area. And I think that in a lot of ways, you just yeah. all you have to do is look at kind of like what I touched on before, like the farming subsidies and things like that, where there's yep. there's states that actually cost the rest of the country money to exist, you know, you know, and a lot of them, you know, so I, I I think they would survive. I was still, I still wouldn't go there, but (laughs) Hey, it's a great state, man. Patty, you sound like a guy that could enjoy a good time anywhere, man. And there are some good times. I'll personally vouch in Texas, man. You should check it out at some point, man. I'm Irish. So I'd have to wear like a 10 gallon cowboy hat to get, to keep me from turning into a redneck with a sunburn. Right. Oh, dude, definitely, man, definitely. I mean, I'm pretty much just coated in the sunscreen when I roll through there, and, you know, I try to keep it short. Otherwise, I will, you know, turn into, I don't know, some roasted potato or something, but do you know? Do you know where the term, this is what I was told, do you know where the term redneck came from? 
I mean, I have a general idea, but I'm I'm excited to hear what you have to say about where Rednecks came from. I was told that it was actually during the time when the tra- the railroads were being built in the country, uh-huh. and that uh, the people that were Rednecks would wear red scarves, like red bandanas around their neck, ah, you know. Ah, interesting. And then because they went on strike, it's funny because it's a union. I mean, there's that's is another reason that Joe Biden. I know that's a weird tangent. Is going to get elected is because <laughs> of his pro union rhetoric that. A lot of people still know the benefits. But anyways, sure. so the union went on strike, and so they had scrubs. And the the essential workers, which now we know full well what that means, the ones that had to still continue to work on the railroad to make it safe, that they would wear red scarves so that the snipers from the hilltops wouldn't shoot them. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I'm serious. That's there you what, go. That's what I heard. Dude, I believe it, man. I love that story. That's a fun fact I did not know, man. So we I have always, a lot of rednecks where I come from. My instant thought, of course, when I started hearing that term was that it's like I just said, like it's like, oh, they're burnt because they work outside, you know, their right. necks are red or whatever. And it's kind of a – I'm sure there's there's different reasons, but that's what I was told, the redneck. That's where that came from. So anyway, random factoid or not even a fact. Who that's cares? right. Put that in the thank bank. Right. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, any shout-outs you want to give real quick um, before we wrap things up? I just want to plug my podcast. If anybody's interested in hearing yep. more of my ramblings, uh, I get some really cool guests. And I do think that there's a benefit for somebody that's not from the the Lane County area to listen to it, to just get a feel. Sure. We try to do it local, but we, uh, we definitely have kind of just a fun conversation. I'm doing an episode later today where I'm interviewing my niece's partner, who is trans and his super politically uh, minded and has just great views and so i'm doing a series on my podcast called the youth vote where i interview young adults and just talk to them give them a platform elevate their voices because they just have different views and that's the future so the spent the rent podcast is available on all streaming sites or you can go to the website which is strpod.com and yeah, so I mean, check that out. I, I appreciate you guys reaching out to me. I don't know how you found me, if it was just Google or what, but pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I found you on 23andMe.com. You know, I was going through some of my ancestors and current relatives, <laughs> and you popped up, man. So we, we hit you up. So hopefully, we can come on through Eugene at some point. We can link up. Uh, you know, I can maybe get my hair cut. I got quite a fat beard that could always use a nice little trim, and uh, we can keep talking shop and enjoy it man yeah man that'd be cool right on well thank you so much patty we definitely enjoyed having you on and uh look forward to a potential podcast in the future cool guys and then yeah i'll find you on the socials and all that good stuff so that's right man take it easy Thanks again for hanging out with us. Uh, Once again, that was Patty Rose of the Spent the Rent podcast. You can check him out on any available streaming platform. Um, And of course, thanks again for myself, Jonah Baker, and from Jake Harris, my uh, co-host for today. Um, We are still here in Big Bear, California, uh, so you can check out any of the material that we've got coming out on the podcast feed those will be coming out just about daily at the new roads with jordan o'donnell podcast uh please like please subscribe uh leave a review anything you can to help the podcast is greatly appreciated and uh if you want you can go through all of the social media accounts to at the zoom garden bus tour jordan o'donnell author pages on instagram facebook and twitter to see the uh, progress we've made so far in crossing the country and the crazy people we've met along the way 
And of course, as always, you can still find Zune Garden on Amazon. Uh, The link to buy will be in the show notes as well. Thanks again for listening in. We'll see you guys next time. Mm